Tonight, are you sure of what the gospel is? Tonight, are you settled in the truth of the gospel? Can you say tonight, without a shadow of a doubt, this is the good news that results in the redemption of sinners through faith in Jesus Christ? In our study, have you come to see the gospel more clearly? Have you come to love the gospel more fully? Have you grown closer to the Savior that provides our gospel, our good news, in his great love? Are you sure of it enough to start freely, confidently sharing it? Has that become the desire of your heart? Is that a growing desire in your heart? Be sure tonight, Jesus wants us to know his gospel, to receive in faith his gospel, to love it and to love him for his gospel. He wants us to share it boldly with others. Tonight as Jesus draws very near to the cross of Calvary, as his death in our verses is to be very soon, as his time on earth is now very limited, he again in our verses tonight restates his gospel. He again brings it to focus. This is the truth of his gospel. Tonight our message is entitled, The Gospel Truth. The Gospel Truth. Tonight we're in John chapter 12. We're going to go to the second half of verse 36. That's where we will begin. And we will go to the end of the chapter, verse 50. John chapter 12, beginning in the second half of verse 36, going to the end of the chapter in verse 50. The gospel truth. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Verse 36, the second half of the verse says this. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. Verse 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be convinced and I heal them, converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word which I spoke is that which will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. 
I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for this night. Lord, help us not to overlook tonight. This Saturday night, we're thankful for a church together with. We're thankful for your praises that we can sing. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. We're thankful for your, for your word that's living and active tonight. Lord, we, we come and we truly seek you that you would speak to us tonight, that you would lead us tonight, that you would teach us and train us tonight. I pray, Lord, that it would, as, as, as we always say, that it would be a, a supernatural event, not normal, not the passing of an hour, not the passing on of information, but the living God would speak through his word. Lord, speak to us. Meet with us tonight. Lord, I pray the fruit of that again is that you'd be known, that you'd be glorified, that you'd be received. If somebody doesn't know you in the hearing of this tonight, I pray that they would turn to you and trust you in faith tonight. Lord, again, we praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As believers, we are a gospel-saved people, meaning that we are saved, we are forgiven, we are redeemed in the hearing and the accepting of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, be very sure tonight Good works do not matter. Church membership does not matter. Denominational affiliation does not matter. Public perception and reputation, it does not matter. The quality and the quantity of your sin, no matter how great, it does not matter. Our family lineage, heritage, it does not matter. No, we are a gloriously gospel-saved people. Paul says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We are a gospel-saved people, and so we are to be a gospel-centered people. The, the gospel, as believers in Christ, is to be at the center of all that we do, really all that we are. As followers of Christ, we are to lead gospel-centered lives. We, we are to have gospel-centered marriages. We are to exist in gospel-centered homes. Our goal as parents is to raise gospel-loving kids. We are to exhibit, as we go through our days, gospel-influenced attitudes. As believers, our churches are to be beacons of, defenders of, preachers of the gospel alone. It is a singular mission for the church. It is a singular focus in the church. Let me tell you tonight, if it does not have to do with the gospel, and if it's not grounded in the gospel, there may be a place for it somewhere. It's just not in the church. We are a gospel-saved people, so we are to be a gospel-focused people. Let me tell you tonight, the only way that happens is if we are a gospel-immersed people. You see that? The only way, there's, it's not going to happen uh, in just blind luck. It's not going to happen if just because we have a good intention. The only way that happens is if we are gospel-immersed people. I think that's what our study has done. I think that's what our 
or 100 nights or 57 nights tonight. I think that is what that is doing, uh, putting right in our vision daily, if we will let it, the good news of the gospel. You see, it is hard, if not impossible, to be immersed in the gospel, to actually be consumed in the gospel if we only hear about it or think about it for one hour a week. I'll just tell you it won't happen. We, we may think that it will, but it will not happen in just one hour a week. In our study tonight in John, Jesus' public ministry has come to an end. Jesus' time on earth is about to end, and he is found tonight once again laying out the gospel. Now, I want you to think about uh, the, the profoundness of that. Here he is very soon to go to the cross, and again, he is found laying out the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? It means it's a big deal. It means it is worth hearing, it is worth knowing, it is worth discussing, it is worth studying, it is worth repeating. It is a big deal to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, let's go to our verses tonight. The second half of the thir verse 36 says this. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. It literally translates, he went away and was hidden from them. Now, there are people there, we know, that are looking to seize him. They have made it clear they want to kill him. And this verse says that he went away and he vanished. Now, I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure what that includes. But he is in their midst and then he vanishes. He's no longer in their midst. He escapes their grasp. All right, verse 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Now, verse 37 reveals an astonishing thing for John. It, it's an astonishing thing for him. In fact, it was also an astonishing thing for Paul. Uh, he also writes the same. Uh, the hardest thing for them to understand is why people did not believe the truth of the gospel. They couldn't understand. John says here is with his many miracles, it's amazing. They did not understand. It makes no sense. John says, though Jesus, though he had performed so many signs, that's what he says, so many, a multitude of signs. What did they need? More fulfilled prophecy? More miraculous signs, more than they had, more proof. It actually makes no sense. Now, I thought about that this afternoon. Honestly, all sin doesn't make sense. I thought about that. This makes no sense, but all sin doesn't make sense. You have a wise good and loving God. His way is the best way. And to turn away from him, to reject him for any reason, makes no sense. Sin makes no sense. I'll just tell you, staying in your sin doesn't make any sense. Look at the trouble. Look at the drama. Look at the guilt. Look at the problems that come with sin. And yet people walk in sin. They excuse sin. They overlook sin. And they stay in sin. It is not logical. It makes no sense. John says, though seeing all of this, yet they are not 
believing. Verse 38. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, John reminds, Isaiah said this is how it would be. This quote is actually from Isaiah 53. That's where he quotes right here. And he said, this is how it would be. He said, this is what would happen. They would not believe. He prophesied these events. And it's exactly as he said. He says, the arm of the Lord, the hand of the Lord has been revealed, these mighty works, and yet who has believed our report? They will not believe. Verse 39. For this reason, they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, verse 40. He has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. Now I want you to see this tonight. John quotes Isaiah again. This time it is in Isaiah chapter six. And the verses in Isaiah say, he says, God has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts so they will not see and they will not be converted. Now that seems to be a very strange thing. The reason they do not believe is because God has blinded them. He made them unable to see or to believe. That's what the verses in Isaiah say. That seems to be a very strange thing. Now, isn't that a problem isn't that a conflict with a Savior that wants all folks to be saved? Isn't that a, a conflict for a Savior that wants all people to believe and in their belief be saved? Are there, are there some he doesn't want to be saved? Is that what that is saying? It seems like that. Are there some that he doesn't give the ability to be saved? Let me walk you through this. Listen very carefully. This is called... Judicial hardening. It is God hardening someone's heart as an act of judgment. Now listen very carefully. As an act of judgment, it is God's hardening someone's heart. Judicial hardening. Now understand tonight, it is consistent with what he does. It is consistent with what he reveals. And it is consistent with who he is. Now, let me show you tonight three things that we need to understand, three things that we need to be sure of about judicial hardening. The first is this. It is always enacted on those rebellious and set in their sin. I want you to hear that again. It is always enacted on those that are rebellious and set in their sin. They have chosen to rebel against God. Now, in the verses from Isaiah, the nation of Israel, they have rebelled against God. 
They have dishonored God. They have neglected his word. They have neglected his warnings. That is their pattern. In fact, if you look at it over and over and over and over again, that is their pattern. They do not heed the warnings of God. They do not listen to the word of God. They dishonor and sin against God. It is enacted on a person who has persisted in their sin. Think about these Jews. It is the same way. They have heard, they have been told, they have been warned, and yet they continue in their disbelief. It is enacted on a person who has persisted in their sin. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. God always uses it for his greater redemptive purpose. God always uses it for his greater redemptive purpose. If they are rebellious, if they're in their sin, he will use that to accomplish his greater purpose. Remember Pharaoh in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God hardened his heart. Well, understand, it was so that God's deliverance of Israel, of the Israelites, would occur. God uses it. God didn't cause him to be a sinner. He didn't cause him to be a rebel. He's not the author of sin, but God uses it for a greater redemptive purpose. In this case, Jesus came to die. Last night we saw he had to die. We saw that if he doesn't die, we're still in our sin. Well, The Jews are rejecting Jesus. They are set against Jesus, and God will use that to to carry out, to accomplish his greater redemptive purpose. What they mean for evil, he will use for good. In the crucifixion that they carry out, it is a terrible thing, but in that we are saved. And then the third thing is this. God's judicial hardening is always also redemptive in purpose. It is always also redemptive in purpose. What that means is it serves to lead people who are suffering under the judgment of sin, suffering under the consequence of their sin, suffering in the chaos of their sin, to have godly sorrow for their sin and to return to God in repentance. Listen, he loves all people. He calls all people to believe. And even in this, he is leading them to a redemptive purpose. He is leading them to repent. Let me give you an example. If you have kids and you set a rule for your kids. Now, This sometimes happens with kids, but they will not listen to that rule. And you set the rule, whatever that rule is, and I don't don't know what age, four, 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 six, nine, 13, they will not listen to that rule. 18, they will not listen to that rule. You set a rule, they're not going to listen to that rule. They're not going to obey that rule. And you've done this to try to get it enacted. You've been mean, you've been loud, you've been nice, you've tried all the ways. They will not listen to the rule. You've explained the rule. Here's the rule. If this happens, this is going to be the result. You've done all you can to explain the rule. They will not listen. You ever heard of a kid like that? And so you say, 
about the time you pull your hair all out, well, it's on you. It's on you. See what that looks like. See how that ends like. Get you some of that. It's on you. And you decide to let them suffer the consequence for their disbelief, for they're not trusting in your rule. I want you to think about that. Do you still love them? Do you still want the best for them? Your goal is not that they'd be ruined. Your goal is not that they'd be crushed. Oh, you're going to get it finally. It's going to be, it's going to be payday for you. Your rules, not, your goal is not that they'd be crushed, but your goal is that in their temporary crushing, they would get it in the consequence of their sin and they would see your way as best. They would see they could trust you and they would turn to you in repentance. That's what happens right here. Let me tell you something. Does this mean God doesn't want them? No, it's not what that means. Does this mean God doesn't love them? That's what some would say. No, that's not what this means. Does it mean they don't have a choice in the matter? That's what some say. No, it is part of his loving, redemptive plan. Now that's deep stuff. That's good stuff. But let me tell you this tonight. If you have to listen to me, if you have to cringe at the nature of God, if God's justice and his holiness and his love, when you look at it, makes you sick to your stomach, if you have to cringe to swallow the nature of God, it is not the truth of God. He is just and he is holy and he is loving and he is gracious and it all perfectly reconciles in the person of Jesus. That is our gospel and it is good news. It is good news. It is good news. I'm going to get back to the verses. I almost want to go on right there, but I'm going to stop. Verse 41 is a pretty cool verse. Listen to verse 41. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. He spoke of him. It means, now listen, Isaiah said these things speaking for Jesus. That's what the verse says. Because he saw Jesus. Let me read verse 41 again. Listen to the words. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Who's he speaking of? He is speaking of Jesus. Now get this tonight. Many of Isaiah's prophecies were concerning the Messiah. Many of his prophecies were concerning Jesus. Isaiah chapter 7, a virgin will be born and she shall be with child and you shall call his name Emmanuel. It's about the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given and you shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace is speaking of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant, and he was pierced through for our transgressions. Many of the prophecies of Isaiah were about the Messiah. They were about Jesus. Well, in verse 41, it says, when Isaiah had his vision in chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year of King Uzziah's death, 
I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. When the temple was filling with smoke, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes, listen, have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Listen to me in verse 41. It says, when Isaiah had his vision in chapter 6, it is Jesus who he saw. It was Jesus who commissioned him. It was the Messiah that he's going to prophesy of, the one that he's going to foretell of. They gave him his orders. How perfect is that? It was Jesus he saw. It was Jesus that he foretells of. How perfect is that? Verse 42, nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. John says it's crazy that those that saw the miracles did not believe. He said that's crazy, couldn't understand it. Yet he said, many did believe. That's what it says. Many did believe, even of the rulers, even of the leaders. Yet he says they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. That was the threat that they had. And so they believed in Jesus, but they would not confess him. So they believed, but they kept it to themselves, not wanting to be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Now we read that, and we probably sneer at that. Ha! We, we probably raise our eyebrows at that, but I want to be honest with you. Doesn't that describe many of the people professing faith in Christ today? Doesn't that describe them? They, they claim Jesus. They, it's, you know what? It's a good thing on a job application. It's a good thing on a school admission. It's a good thing if you're going to sell insurance. It's a good thing to be known as a Christian. It's a good thing if you want to go to heaven. And so they, they come on Easter and they, they come on Christmas. And when it fits in for the other things, they come to some other services. And then they want to have their funeral and they want to sing all of the songs. But the reality is, let's not get too carried away about it. Let's not talk about it at work. Let's not talk about it at school. Let's not come off as some sort of nut. Don't let it impact our business. Don't let it change our language. Don't let it influence the crowd that we run with. Let's not go that crazy. Let's not go that far. They say they believe, but they love the applause of men more, and so they're silent. Isn't that our world today? Isn't that what we've allowed in the church today? It's too costly. I'll just be silent. They'll think I'm crazy. They'll think I'm a nut. I'll just be silent. That's their business, not mine. 
They believe they just don't want people to know. All right, the last seven verses tonight, Jesus gives a summary of the gospel. As the cross approaches, he explains the gospel that he has preached. That's what he does. Here we go. It's the end. He's about to go to the cross. He explains the gospel that he has preached. He explains the gospel that he will now provide. Let's go to the rest of our verses, verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He, he says his good news is the Father's good news. Now, I want to show you the problem here. They thought that there was the Father's system. There was the Father's way to be saved. And then now here is Jesus with a new gospel. Here is Jesus with a new way. Well, Jesus says here in verse 44, it is the same good news. In fact, it is eternal good news. And it is the Father's good news. And it is His good news. And it has always been the good news. Friends, be sure tonight. There has always been one message. There's always been one gospel. And that is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Genesis to Revelation. There's one gospel, one message. Faith in Jesus is how we're saved. He says, y'all are trying to split this up. It's the same message. Verse 45. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. Now, Jesus says again, he is God. He says again, he is the full revelation of God. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you are estranged from the Father because of your sin, come to Jesus. If you want to have fellowship with the Father, put your faith in Jesus. That is our gospel. Jesus is God, and we know, and we see, and we enjoy fellowship with God by faith in Jesus. Verse 46, verse 46 is a great verse. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. This is our good news tonight. Jesus says, I have come as a light I've come as light into the world. Now think about that. We've talked about that. A light shines. That's what he says. A light always overcomes darkness. A light is seen. It is visible. You can't hide a light. A light is seen. It is visible. And he has told us, and the light gives life. And so understand, in the darkness of sin, in the darkness of the world, hurting and suffering and shamed in darkness, Jesus stands as the light. That's our good news. He says, everyone, everyone who believes in me, everyone who does better, everyone who impresses the church, everyone who impresses God, everyone who stops their sin, everyone who keeps the rule book. It's not what it says. It says this, everyone who believes in me, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. That is the good news of our gospel. There is no other way to be saved. You cannot be saved in any other way, but by faith in Jesus, we are saved. That's good news. Then he says this, and will not, Remain in darkness. 
will not remain in, in darkness. The gospel of the Bible says you are placed by faith in Jesus in the kingdom of light. You've passed out of death, passed out of darkness, and now by faith in Jesus, you walk in the light. Friends, I want you to know tonight, that is the best place to walk. In fact, that is the only place to walk. You can breathe in the light. Wouldn't you like to breathe? You can have peace in the light. There's no peace in this world. You'll have joy in the light. Wouldn't you like to have joy not built on a circumstance? You can find it in the light. That's our good news. You're no longer in darkness. Verses 47 and 48. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Verse 48 with it. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Jesus says, he who rejects me, I do not judge them. It is my word that judges them. That's what he says. It is my word that indicts them. Bible says, in our sin, we are condemned. In our sin, we are guilty already. Well, when we reject the word of Christ, you are judged. You are then declared guilty. It is the word of God that is your, it is your judge. Verse 49 and 50. For, can you imagine this is what he's saying, summing it up. For I do not speak of my own initiative. He's obedient. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. You want to kill me for it? You're going to crucify me for it? I was obedient to what the Father said. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. Listen, this is big. Jesus ends and he says, this is the Father's truth. He commanded me in what to say. And so the truth of what I said is his truth. It is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, why do we defend the gospel? Why do we preach the gospel? Why do we return to the gospel? It is the word of God himself. Jesus says in that commanded message, there is eternal life. And the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. Friends, let me just tell you this. We are a gospel-saved people. Not church attendance, not rule-keeping, not good works, not baptism, not something else. We are a gospel-saved people. Here's the question. So do you know it? Have you received it? Do you love it? Are you growing in your love for it? Man, that ought to be happening. Are you growing in your love for the gospel? Are you sharing it? Are we so selfish to have good news and just go on and live? Are you sharing it? We are a gospel-saved people. In God's word, we have the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Dream Father, we come tonight, we're thankful. We're so thankful for your truth. We're so thankful for your good news. We're so thankful you tell us there is a way for peace and joy and forgiveness, of eternal life, and it's not, it's not a treadmill of running faster. 
It's not some book of doing better. It's, it's by faith in Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that you provide it in your own blood, that in the cross that's soon coming for you, you secure our salvation, our redemption, paying for it in your own blood. Lord, I, I pray that tonight we would understand we're a gospel-saved people. I pray that tonight as, as we go through night 57, we grow as gospel-loving people. And I pray, Lord, with any character at all, we become gospel-sharing people. All of it for your namesake, all of it for your glory. Lord, we turn this time of response over to you now. Whole service is yours anyway. We give you this time. We ask that you move in it, that you work in it, that you're revealed and known through it. I pray the result will be you be glorified in the response. Lord, we give it to you. We ask that you move. Remove any hindrance. We trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of response to the truth of God's good news. The good news is this. The good news stands tonight. The good news is offered to you tonight. The good news is God loves you. And while we were yet sinners, not at some point when we got it all shaped up, we can't do that. He loves you in your sin. He sees the condition you exist in your sin, and so he sends his only begotten son, the Savior, for our sin. He takes our sin in his perfect sinless life as the Lamb of God. He takes it to the cross of Calvary. He pays for it there. He takes the shame of it there. He dies for it, shedding his own blood for our redemption, yours and mine. He's put in a grave. Three days later, he comes out of the grave and he stands with a receipt in his hand as the risen Savior, the Savior for sinners. The Bible says if you trust him tonight, if you will trust him, you will be saved. Professing with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. My call tonight is this, trust him. Trust him tonight. Do not wait for another night. Trust him tonight. If you've trusted Christ but never fought in believer's baptism, I want to give you an opportunity to respond as well. And in the New Testament, it's always by immersion, always after the point that a person is saved. And so you come, and we'll set a day to be a great day of testimony, of celebration, testifying to what we believe of our Savior, Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well. And together we'll unite. We'll uphold his word. We'll preach his gospel for his glory until he comes again. Maybe tonight on this Saturday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would move around. No one would head for an exit. You pray for those who are making decisions. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you here.